Right, so good afternoon, everybody um, who's on the webinar and if you're listening on the podcast as well. Uh, I'm Paul Church. I'm Managing Director of Interquest. We're a tech data and digital recruitment business. And this is our people, culture and tech community slash webinar slash podcast. Um, I think we've done about somewhere around 40 of these now, um, around about 16, 17 of them, which have been as a podcast as well. And the idea really is to, to talk all things which relate to business, company, culture, values, and they typically um, go into areas such as mental health, mental well-being, um, diversity, inclusion. Um, and the idea is hopefully we can all come away from these, these meetings and these chats uh, with a, li a little something to make our businesses just a little bit better. Uh, and then on this week, it's, uh, it's, of course, Mental Health Awareness Week. Um, so it's, it's very relevant that this week we're talking about um, how to make mental well-being or mental wellness um, a priority in your business and how to do so. Um, and I think after the, the 14 months or so we've all had, that's never been uh, more important. And certainly one of the good things to come out of this, uh, this tough period is that it's certainly a conversation at a high level in the boardrooms now, and rightfully so. Um, the, the well-being of the workforce is so, so important. So... Uh, to the audience who are here today, as always, to those who are here every week, and thank you for those who keep turning up, um, please feel free to ask a question throughout. Just pop your hand up if you'd like to get involved. Um, if you'd like to um, just put the question in the chat, I'm happy to ask one of our speakers as well. Um, but let, let, let's, let's go to our speakers. So I'm just going to start off with, with you, Lauren. So Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm really uh, pleased to be speaking about this topic. It's definitely one of the, the ones that's close to my heart. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, look, it'd be great if you could just start off with just telling us a bit about um, your background, um, who you are, what you're doing, what you're doing now and why this why this topic so so close to your heart. Yeah, of course. So um, hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on. I have been working in the people and talent space for almost 10 years now. I started in recruitment, so my job was very much focused at how do you attract great talent into your companies? And then over the last couple of years, it's kind of changed focus. And now I look more at once we've got that talent in, how do we make sure that our people are happy, that they're looked after, and how do we ensure that they can thrive in the business? So um, it's very much that employee experience, that well-being, and that culture piece, um, which obviously, as Paul mentioned, is a uh, front and center these days, um, just given everything over the last year. So the reason this has been something that I'm quite passionate about um, is because I think I've probably been on both sides of the, the extremes here. So I worked in a job that was, you know, long hours, high stress, very KPI'd, um, very kind of sales culture, I think is the best way to put it. And um, don't get me wrong, it was a great job. But I think that when I compare that to other places that I've worked where they've been a lot more about work-life balance, you know, personal growth, well-being, et cetera, I can definitely see that if you have those aspects as something that your company looks after and that you can enjoy as an employee, I definitely think that companies get more out of their staff and that people are happier and more productive at work. So that's the reason that I think it's very important. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Lauren. Uh, Alicia, hello, welcome. And how are you? Hello, very well, thank you. Also, thank you very much for having me and uh, really excited to be talking about this. It's so important. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Well, look, same, same question to you. Um, just kind of if you give us a bit about your background, um, a bit about kind of also the new role you've moved into and then why this topic so, so, so important to you as well. Yeah, so uh, my career started a bit differently. I actually used to teach English as <laughs> a foreign language, did that for five years. And um, I used to work with people from all over the world and um, all, all adults. And I used to, uh, they used to come to Oxford to teach them there. 
And I used to support them with all kinds of stuff, um, helping them, you know, find houses and helping them find jobs. And I really enjoyed that element um, as well as teaching them English. And uh, like Lauren, I ended up going from that into recruitment. And that was kind of my move into the people side, um, into the career that I have now. Um, and I've, I've worked in people and recruitment uh, for the last eight years. Um, and my recent role at Arbor Education was where I was really able to get stuck into well-being and, and what that means and how we can support people in the workplace um, with this. And, uh, and I really enjoyed that. And, you know, I'm hoping to be able to share a lot of that today. Um, and at the moment, I'm currently working for a company called Vouch for uh, heading up their talent. I joined last week, so still onboarding and learning a lot, but really hoping to um, also have an impact there uh, when it comes to well-being and what we can do as well. Well, thanks so much. Even more so on week two of a new job for being a part of today's uh, hours chat. So uh, thank you very much. Um, but look, let, let's let's start off, I suppose, um, Alicia. And I'll, I'll go back to you, actually. Um, if we could maybe define well-being, because there's, you know, we've, there's lots of terms, mental health, mental well-being, mental wellness. So if we could just t- define mental well-being, what, what it means, what we mean by it, how it fits in and differ, differs to conversations around mental health, perhaps. Yeah, so well-being, I think a lot of people from what I've seen in the past, um, people tend to think of mental health and well-being as being the same thing, but actually they, they're very different. Well-being has lots of different um, factors and areas of your life that you can look at. So um, well-being generally is your kind of state, state of happiness and, um, uh, you know, how you are in yourself, your health as well. Uh, and the different areas uh, that you can look at are things like your financial well-being, um, social well-being, um, intellectual well-being, uh, and mental well-being as well, uh, and physical physical well-being. So there are lots of of different areas when it comes to that kind of one heading, um, and all these areas can impact your overall mental health. So I think it's really important to just remember that as an organisation and. When you're thinking about, um, you know, rolling out initiatives related to well-being or mental health, just remembering that it's all-encompassing. It's not just uh, all about the mental side of things. Absolutely, that makes sense. Lauren, do you have anything to add to that at all, just in terms of that definition and that description? Yeah, I completely agree with what Alicia said. I think that mental health is, is great and it's so you know worthwhile that that's a focal point these days. But I think very much it's all connected and well-being is more about looking at this holistic view of a person you know if somebody um has good mental health but you know they're they're not getting much sleep or you know they're not eating right or they've got a lot of financial stress that's ultimately going to impact their emotional climate so i think it's just getting that balance of factors and making sure that you can look after staff in all these different ways Absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And Alicia, I think I absolutely agree with, uh, well, I like that we're defining well-being as happiness. I think that's a much clearer way to, way to look at it and a nice way to look at it as well. Um, so, so Lauren, um, well-being is, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's probably never been as much at the forefront of the boardroom's agenda than it is right now. Um, and that's a great thing. I mean, it's been brought on by the stresses we've all faced. Um, and there's also a lot of empathy because a lot of us have been facing similar stresses to each other. Um, but how do businesses make sure they get these conversations right? Now it is, is a topic in a business. How do we make sure we, we get it right? Yeah, I think um, it's something that a lot of businesses want to, to do and want to do more of, but uh, in a lot of cases, they just don't know where to start. And they're maybe so worried that they start and they say the wrong thing or, or they do the wrong thing. And there's that fear factor of you know handling conversations incorrectly. I would say you have to start by listening to your staff or your workforce. Um, you know, well-being, mental health, these things absolutely should be part of your business strategy. But the reason 
for that and how that looks for each company should be quite unique and should be very much employee-led. Um, so I think to start these conversations, you know, go out, speak to your people, do your engagement surveys, run your focus groups and start to scope out what well-being feels like for your company. And once you've got that kind of baseline um, idea of what people are looking for, that's when you can start to build and implement. Well, what would be the first step, do you think? Would you think it would be a survey? Do you think it would be one-on-one-to-ones, what, what, what would you do? I would usually start with looking at um, staff surveys, I think are a really good way to find out where people are with it just now and where they want to get to. Um, also looking at like your business statistics, so what is your attrition rate like? What are your sickness and absence rates like? Especially looking at things like long-term absence or you know repeat absences, and um, usually that can be a good indicator to mental health, stress, work-related kind of stress, um, and then start to see where these problem areas are and what you can do to tackle that so I think you definitely have to do a bit of a discovery phase first um, just to make sure that whatever you do move forwards with is kind of tailored and it is meeting a business need. Absolutely what, what would you think Alicia? Yeah I would agree with Lauren um, getting feedback uh, from people and, and listening to what people are saying is incredibly important. Um, people will have different experiences no one experience is the same and it's really important to remember that. Um, I also think that the people who are leading on initiatives around well-being or mental health initiatives should be um, should go on some kind of training or course to support them because the type of language you use is really important as well. Um, and we we did that when we at Arbor when we started looking at this, and it really helped uh, raise our own awareness and understanding. And I sent members of the leadership team uh, on that training as well, um, and it was incredibly useful. And we kind of used that to help raise awareness, not just in ourselves, but across the organisation as well. And that was kind of our starting point: was we need to learn and understand, you know, what what it means and, and what we're doing, and then sharing that with the organisation, and then getting feedback um, and listening to people from that point. And what, what sort of training modules are they called or what, what, what sort of things do you recommend to put to businesses? Yeah, we use, um, we use two. Uh, they're both mental health orientated. However, um, we, the first one we use, Mind, looked at other areas of well-being as well, just as general factors that can contribute towards your mental health. So uh, we use Mind uh, One Day Workshop, Mental Health in the Workplace. It was absolutely brilliant, um, really useful and insightful and we learned so much from that um and one of the things they, they you know they spoke about was that you know like <laughs> like physical health everybody has mental health mental health isn't just like one thing um so it's just remembering that and remembering that you know you have to do things to look after your mental health and that also involves looking after your well-being and the different areas with that so that was really useful and insightful um the other one that we use was mental health first aid england which which a lot of people um used to get qualified i've heard really good things about that I haven't been on it myself but yeah heard good things was there anything on those on those courses perhaps particularly the mind one where maybe you you thought things were one way or, or things could be should be said one way and actually it turned out to be something completely different that you'd not thought about it like that before was there anything else that stood out from that course at all I think um, the physical health one obviously was a big yeah. one. You know, they were like, if you uh, break your leg, for example, you damage yourself physically, you tell people and you take time out. And you look after yourself and do some physio and, you know, and we also do things to look after our physical health in general. You know, we go for a run or we go for a walk outside. Um, so it's just 
you know, transferring that to your mental health and thinking, what do you do to look after your mental health? Um, you know, how do you look after your mental well-being, your social well-being? Um, you know, what, what are the factors that can contribute towards that? And, and it's it's encouraging people to talk about it in a more like normal context as well, not just thinking of mental health as a bad thing. So that was really useful and insightful. And what I also found really um useful was the language that they they went over that you know no one's state of well-being is ongoing it's you know the way you feel in your well-being is a present state it doesn't mean you always feel like that um you know you could feel very differently the next day so one day you could be feeling socially quite anxious or you know a bit low as you know i'm sure lots of people suffered with this during lockdown as well um, but it could be that the next day you're fine um and it's just kind of remembering that and listening to people again and supporting people and making sure that you you have the right tools and resources in your organizations where when people are not having a good time and in different areas of their well-being that they've got sources uh, resources that they can go to or people that they can talk to um, about that should they need it for example so that absolutely makes sense and we've got a ken uh as just put in the chat the mental health first aid course is really good absolutely recommended so absolutely i've had a couple of questions come from in the private chat actually so i'm just going to go to those so um i'll go, go to you first on this one lauren so uh who do you think the owner should be on for creating a work environment for being uh mental for, for good sorry for good mental well-being the board senior managers or everyone so lauren if we, i could ask you that one first of all Sure. So uh, definitely everyone. I think that often these wellbeing initiatives uh, can be very employee led, um, which is wonderful that people want to get involved and they want to be proactive. But ultimately, you need that senior leadership, you need that boardroom component as well. Um, and if anything, I think if your senior leaders aren't advocates and they don't truly believe how beneficial these practices can be you're always going to have a bit of um, a blocker there people aren't going to feel 100% comfortable and I think something that's come out of the pandemic is actually people in these senior leadership or management positions um, are just as likely if not more so to struggle with their well-being because you know they might have um, more responsibility more staff pressure more work pressure and if that conversation isn't opened up at that level not only can that not make everybody under them feel comfortable but you're you're doing them at the service as well because they might actually really need some support i percent agree with that alicia what do you think yeah absolutely i think um it definitely should be led by everyone you know you want it to be embedded in your culture and you need to think about that when you're implementing policies or procedures you know how how are you in embedding well-being in what you're doing you know when you're organizing socials or when you're looking at different benefits that you can offer staff and organizations that you work with um but the one thing i'd like to add is when it comes to the senior leadership team one thing that's really important is that they display the behaviors that support positive well-being so you know i've seen some um SLT members, you know, slacking people at 10 p.m. and making people feel really stressed and anxious about things or, um, you know, socials being organised really late on a Friday. So parents who are looking after children can't participate. It's little things like that that you need to think about um, and communicate really well on. So, yeah, just food for thought. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I think for me as well, I think one thing, and this has been a theme in some of these webinars we've seen, is that displaying vulnerability as a manager on the leadership team is, is a strength um, and that, that's uh, it's a trait which will go go down well in your business and it'll create that kind of safe environment and I absolutely always thought that I must never display vulnerability as manager and last year was probably the first time I'd actually done it you know and I talked about myself using our EAP and then that create that filters down and people feel more comfortable talking about it so it I, for me it absolutely starts at the top uh, everyone's responsible for everyone but I think if, if the top 
don't display it, then it's not going to filter down at all as well. Um, another question in the uh, private chat. Uh, so we'll go to you, Alicia, on this one. What is the best way to approach absence from work as a manager? I've had previous instances where people have uh, taken time off, but not wanted to talk about their reasons for this. And obviously, as a manager, you don't want to try or probe too much. What is the best way to approach this when you feel it may be caused by mental health rather than physical health? Good question. Yeah, that's a really good question. So, I mean, ultimately, you can't force someone to disclose um, information that they may not want to. Um, one thing that, it, you know, if their absence is very high to the point where it's impacting their work, then you need to look at your absence processes, um, you know, and, and how you address that as an organisation. If somebody is absent because they're suffering from adverse, you know, mental health, you need to uh, look at what support you can offer that person. So as an organization, you should have things like, look into things like an EAP program, employee assistance program, um, which they can be absolutely brilliant. They're not expensive either to implement. Um, and you can get some which offer, you know, free counseling, um, either over the phone or face-to-face, -face, um, obviously post COVID. <laughs> um, they also do blogs and webinars and worksheets to help support people's well-being. Uh, Mind have an excellent um, wellness action plans document that I've used before with somebody. Um, and it's really, uh, well structured and guided in supporting someone's um, well-being and mental health in in how they manage their work and day-to-day -day circumstances. Um, so that's the first thing. If you don't have uh, resources or tools that you can use to support them, you should be talking to your people team or leadership team um, to look at implementing something. Um, but you know, in a longer case where you've tried everything and it's still not working, and somebody is still taking long-term absence. Um, then you know you, you'll have to follow your processes uh, for long-term absence, and in some cases you can also uh, you know get them to talk to their doctor and get a diagnosis from their doctor, depending on how long they've been off for, um, and get support you know information that way of what you can do to help them doing a risk assessment or occupational health assessment. You know what can you do? Fantastic, thank you. And Lauren, anything to add to that at all? Yeah, I, I agree with Alicia. I think the um, employee assistance programmes, I really do think they're the hidden gem for giving people a, a way to access professional counselling. Um, ours has like eight free professional counselling sessions. It's got like a live chat option for staff that maybe don't want that face-to-face -face contact yet. Um, but equally, I think having a really strong return to work um, procedure can really help. So again, if someone went off, you know, with a physical illness, you would have them in the office. You'd say, how are you feeling now? Are you fitting well to be back here? Is there any adjustments we can make so that you feel more comfortable? And is there any support that we can give you? So making sure that you're having those exact same conversations for someone where it is maybe a mental illness. Um, and also thinking about things like having that conversation somewhere really private. So don't do it, you know, in a glass door um, meeting room. Don't do it in a breakout area. Do it somewhere where if they're going to perhaps disclose more information, they can do so comfortably. Um, and again, I would always recommend doing these towards the end of the day so that if someone does maybe become a bit emotional or whatever, they're not having to go right back into work afterwards. So just taking small kind of practical measures to make sure you can have these conversations. Fantastic. Thank, thanks for the questions there and uh, some very thorough answers. Thanks for those. So just on the, before we went to the, the audience questions, I was asking about um, how do businesses make sure we get these conversations right? Is there anything else just on, if we reverse engineer that, that the businesses shouldn't do? 
how do businesses, how could they get it wrong? And it may just be the reverse of what we said, but it's worth highlighting so people are really clear. Um, so what, what, how can businesses get things wrong and what should they avoid? Alicia, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think um, what I have seen <laughs> happen in the past is a business will, will you know, when it, um, addressing kind of well-being as an initiative, they'll get occupational health or an EAP, uh, plonk it on their intranet, and then they're like, oh, finished, you know. And uh, nobody knows what it is, how to access it, what it means. No conversations are happening. Um, EAP is not for everyone. Neither is occupational health. Um, you know, there's no authenticity or meaning or um, personalization behind that process. So I think it's really important to remember that it's not it's not just about having um, you know those resources there for people. It's about how you communicate it. About um, you know how are you promoting well-being within the organisation? How often are you promoting it? Um, how do people know who to go to if they need to talk to someone? Um, you know who is involved in this as well? Who are you involving across the business? So all these questions you need to think about. It's not, um, you know, it should never be a tick box exercise. It will never work if you take that approach. Um, there's lots of material and information out there um, and, and you know, lots of podcasts and things to help people with this. So it's just worth kind of exploring, seeing what will work for you and your organization, but just remembering that you, it really needs to be a proactive initiative. Yep, absolutely. Lauren, anything you think there as well? Yeah, I think that the biggest mistake that I see companies making when it comes to dealing with these wellbeing issues is um, not having the conversation, and especially from a line manager point of view, so they can be very quick just to be like, straight to HR, straight to health, whatever. But I think line managers have to feel empowered, they have to feel supported to be able to go and speak to their staff member and say, you know, I've noticed that you're not 100% yourself, do you want to come and talk about it with me? And I think they're the people who are most likely to pick up on these things and they should be the person that the staff member feels most comfortable speaking to. Um, so I think a little bit more support and training around there. Again, there's so many resources online about how to approach these conversations. Um, but just getting into the kind of you know business mindset that these aren't HR issues, these are people issues. And if you're a people manager, that's part of your job. I agree, absolutely. Um, Alicia, so could you take us through how you set up a well-being committee at Arbor? And also, I, I know we were talking about whether it was well-being or wellness in the notes. I've ended up with well-beingness on my notes, which <laughs> so I've actually actually invented a word there. So I'm going to make sure I copyright that. But please, yeah, could you could you talk us through the, the committee? That'd be great. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So um, at Arbor, it started with uh, looking at mental health. Um, we we had had some absence, uh, high absence because of it. Um, and in most cases, we were able to bring the employees back um, and it was brilliant. You know, I was really pleased about that. However, I, I noticed that we, you know, we needed to do more um, and it was the right thing to do for the employees of the business, but also for the business ourselves. You know, high absence is expensive. Um, we don't want to lose people and we want people to feel supported and engaged. Um, so the first thing I did was I sent me and two others uh, in my team on training. That's the first thing to raise our own awareness and learn more so that we understood, you know, what we were talking about and <laughs> what language to use and things like that. Um, so we came from an authentic place uh, and we did a lunch and learn, uh, just a 20 minute lunch and learn. We did it together. We tried to make it interactive and um, engaging for people. We did some statistics around mental health. People were really surprised actually at how common uh, mental health issues are. I think it's like one in four people, um, you know, suffer from a mental health issue. So um, 
you know, we and that generated loads of discussion and raised so much awareness. And at the end of that lunch and learn, I just said to, you know, the company, um, if anybody would like to get involved, please reach out. Um, it, it would be wonderful. And, you know, we want to kind of do something with this and take it further and, and do something every month. And we got a lot of interest from different people across the organisation, which was great. Um, and we ended up uh, coming together uh, all to just share our ideas. And in the end, we, we formed a well-being committee um, and we looked at how we could structure, you know, what we did. And it kind of started with mental health, but actually became a much broader initiative um, as we look through, you know, calendar of annual events of different things that happen in the world and in the UK. There's so much out there. It's absolutely wonderful, you know, around all sorts of topics. Um, and we linked that to our social program um, and our benefits program as well. So how can we, you know, link everything and unite it? Uh, and we put the meetings in every month. You know, they happened every month um, and we made sure we kept everything up to date. And what was really lovely was that we, we had people from different teams across the business all getting involved and all inputting their ideas and suggestions so it was led by the employees um, you know not from the people function um, they just kind of drove it forward more than anything I, think I just kind of helped and guide along the way but uh, but yeah so that worked really well for us and then to make sure people knew who we were we we actually put our logos on our emails and advertise ourselves internally as well so if anybody wanted to come and talk to any of us about anything they absolutely could um, and as an initiative, we noticed a really big difference in engagement. And we did all this before COVID hit. Um, and I was so proud and grateful that we'd done that because actually when COVID hit, um, everybody knew who they could talk to. They needed extra support. And we had such a solid um support of resources in place for people that we were so well prepared we had meditation happening yoga we had a story time for people's children we had a regular um, uh, stream of social events happening we were getting talks in on financial well-being and people talking to us about lgbtq and what that means and all kinds of stuff going on as part of our program and i was just so pleased that we did that and had that support for people at that time yeah, sounds fantastic. And now, now you've been a part of that and you've seen it work so well. Do you think that that is something that should just be in every business the same way that the, you know, every business should have an HR function or a sales function or whatever? Do you think it's, it should be a piece of the furniture or do you think it needs, it's only going to suit certain companies? I think with this, I, I'm always wary of one size fits all, um, regardless of, of what the initiative is. Um, I think you need to look at your culture, what works for your culture, your size of business, um, you know, where people are located. Uh, I think those are all things you should take into consideration before kind of rolling out an initiative. Um, you know, what well, what worked well for us is you know lunch and learns were part of our culture anyway um you know at that point we were all in the office so uh, you know we could communicate very easily uh, obviously things are quite different at the moment with lots of people working remotely um i think though it should be on everybody's agenda absolutely but how they do it i think needs to be you know tailored to what what will work for them Absolutely makes sense. If anybody's got any questions about the uh, wellbeing committee, just just do pop them in the chat or put pop your hand up. Um, I've got just got another question actually just come through on the private chat. Uh, so okay, so the, the question reads: What mistakes have you seen previously? If you're comfortable mentioning them, that managers and the board should avoid when it comes to wellbeing of employees, and how were these mistakes rectified? So I think that's I think that's coming at a slightly different angle from what I asked, when which I think was how the company's trying to do the right thing but do it wrong. I suppose this is, I suppose, just how do companies just do it wrong sometimes and then have to 
kind of come back and fix what they've done. Um, Alicia, does that make sense? What, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think um, mistakes that I've seen in the past, and I think Lauren touched on this earlier, is about line managers panicking immediately if somebody says that they're suffering in their well-being, and rather than openly talking to them about it and finding out, you know, what what part of the well-being of their well-being is is being compromised, um, what support are they looking for. Um, you know, they just kind of panic and, and shove them to HR. And in some larger organisations, you know, I've, I've worked in smaller organisations where HR is working with everybody, but in some bigger organisations, that may not be the case. These employees might not have met anybody in HR before. They don't know who that person is. Um, you know, they don't feel comfortable necessarily uh, opening up to them. And then you, immediately they can become disengaged. And the, and the issue that they may have could be intensified as a result of that. So I think it's just really important that you give your managers the right tools and resources to have those conversations and the confidence as well. You know, they're not doctors at the end of the day. They're not there to diagnose, but they should be there to listen to people. Um, they don't need to give a solution there and then, um, but they just need to understand what the employee is saying. And I think that communication is absolutely essential. Where I've seen things break and go horribly wrong is when that communication hasn't worked well. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. Lauren, anything you think there as well? Yeah, I can definitely think of a few things that I've seen uh, senior management do over the years that has not helped the well-being cause. So um, a lot of these behaviours or examples are things that they just have never really thought about in this context. So, you know, for example, using like air quotes when they talk about, you know, well-being or working from home or, or things like that. And it just doesn't send the right message. I think... Um, saying that they support well-being initiatives and then not doing any of them themselves so you know if you've got like flexible working in place but you know your managers are still in from first thing in the morning till last thing at night it doesn't set the right message for your employees to you know be able to come and go with their shifts um, and back to what you mentioned Paul just that actual vulnerability of not always kidding on that they're 100% and you know they're fine and everything's dandy every day being a little bit more human and a little bit more accepting that everyone will have good days and bad days and, and that's so fine so I think definitely being more conscious about the language that they use and then trying to lead by example. It makes sense thank you very much and Lauren could you could you talk us through your approach to implementing and maintaining a strong well-being culture at the businesses you've worked at? Sure. So I have um, been lucky enough to, to set up the whole wellbeing agenda for a few of the companies I've worked with previously. Um, I would say that the first thing is finding a hook. So a reason that this is something that your business should be motivated by, that is something that makes it important. Um, and you can look at your employee feedback, you can look at your, your stats, your attrition, etc. But find something that when you go to the boardroom to present this, you're not just saying, well, we need to do it because everybody else is doing it. You need something a little bit more tangible and relevant. After that, similar to Alicia's, um, I think you need to kind of recruit a group of people who are going to bring this to life across the business. And it's really important that these people um, not only you know, are passionate and genuinely care about this, but also that they represent different people across the business. So you've got you know, people in, in different levels of role, people in different business units, people in different job roles, so that this isn't something that you know, the interns are running or uh, HR are running. It's something that really is ingrained. And then after that, I've found it really helpful to use um, like a monthly monthly event focus so for example perhaps you are looking at sleep so what can you do in the business to educate everyone on why sleep is so important and then how can you 
activate that and give people the opportunity to maybe share like a strong bedtime routine, give them an extra hour off work to have that long lie in. Um, you know, maybe people are using meditation apps or mindfulness and start to really get that conversation going around that, that subject area. Um, and then ideally you would want to measure any results or feedback you get from that. Yeah, absolutely. Some really, really good advice there. And I think, I think the, the key word of so many of these things is authenticity, isn't it? It's just making sure that businesses really, really care about these things, as, as Alicia was saying earlier on around the EAP. Um, so how do, we, how, do you, how do we make sure then that it truly is an authentic drive by the business? What else can they, the business do to make sure it is not just a tick box exercise? It's a true, you know, we care about this, we want to make it work, and that, that it truly is made a priority. I think that some of the most powerful examples of authenticity I've seen has been from senior leaders or anyone, um, but actually sharing their own experience of um, well-being or, you know, mental health issues or times where they have found things more difficult. Um, a good example for that would be our HR director at one of my previous companies. She wrote a blog about um, postnatal depression and it was the first time that we'd ever had someone in a senior position write about something that is obviously so personal and, and so kind of um you know in topic so by having people start to open up and have these conversations I think you'll find that the silence or this kind of wall around everything well-being and mental health related starts to break down and people become a lot more comfortable saying well actually yeah I've, I've suffered from this or I went through a hard time then um, and that's a really you know, it's, it's free and it's a really accessible way for people to start to genuinely take part in this conversation. Fantastic. And, and a question for you both, and I'll, I'll go to you, you on this first of all, Lauren. When you're looking for inspiration um, in terms of businesses out there who are clearly do, getting this really right, except for the businesses you both work, work for, of course, uh, but only out there that people, um, you know, you look to as kind of role models as thinking, right, they've nailed this. Um, any that, that people can go look into as well? I think they're always fairly active on LinkedIn. I think if you're on LinkedIn and you're kind of reading about these things or reading any kind of like, you know, people magazines, et cetera, there's, there's definitely a lot of companies that are trialing different things and having success with different things. And I think these are fab places to take inspiration from. Um, but again, I still think it comes back down to figuring out what's going to work for you. So, you know, listening to your employees and finding out what's going to make their lives better or easier or happier. Um, so I think it's good that you've got these sources to maybe give you ideas but again I wouldn't maybe just take something that someone else has done and it's worked for them and kind of implant that into your own business yeah absolutely and Alicia are there, are there any companies out there that you kind of look to for inspiration sometimes think you know they, they've got this right that stand out to you yeah um I follow culture up um and they do a lot of work around I mean all sorts of different topics but they definitely do a lot around well-being and they have a lot of really interesting blogs and, and podcasts and um fact sheets around that so they're worth having a look at um charlie hr as well so ben gately um ceo of charlie hr he he does he does a lot of podcasts on different topics and charlie hr has done quite a lot on well-being in their own organization i know so um worth having a look at them also perfect thank you um so alicia financial well-being is i was reading this morning actually is, is one of the most neglected areas uh, for business looking after people despite money being you know how often do anyone does anyone get stressed about money in some way so it feels like an obvious one so why do you think that is and what can businesses really do to look after the financial well-being of its workforce yeah i think that's a, a good question um <laughs> From my perspective, I think the reason why it kind of gets left off is because it, it it's probably comes across as not being as 
obviously a contributor to mental well-being as, as things like your physical health and mm. um you know and, and socializing with your colleagues and things like that and I also think sometimes organizations don't know what's available out there when it comes to financial well-being or, or how to handle that but there are there are things you can do um so you can organize talks there, there are companies that um offer uh talks to people about you know how to get a mortgage and and you know what that means how to handle debt um there's there's lots of different offerings out there if you have a look um that's quite a good thing to do quite useful we got good feedback when we did that um there are uh, benefits you can have that um support people financially with uh short-term loans but in an ethical way um so you can have a look at that uh, as well so companies that do that uh hatch vouch for sister company they offer financial coaching as well and you can have a look at them and see what they do but yeah if you just do some research and, and see what's out there there, there are definitely things that you can do and offer to staff on that front as well um and i think it's just reviewing your benefits and and what people want and, and need also so you know um it's not always it's not always about money when it comes to benefits but it's you know it's kind of what you're offering people so you know looking at your kind of well-being budget for people are you going to give people individual budgets that they can put towards their well-being if you can afford to do that um again you don't need a big budget or to do that to make well-being successful um but it's just an idea for people fantastic and lauren what do you, what do you think around the financial well-being side yeah, it's a really good point, and it's definitely the area of wellbeing. I think is is always left out. I think partly because people just still shy away from discussing anything to do with finances. You know, you don't want to say, "Oh, well, I earn this much, but I've got this much debt, and um, you know, my bills are this much." People don't usually have those conversations, especially at work. Um, but there's loads of things that you can do. One thing that I've found really helpful is partnering with like a um, financial advisory um, organization. I had Bruin Dolphin come in. And they basically did a talk uh, on all things, you know, savings, debt, pension, mortgage, etc. And then they offered the staff one to one half hour consultations afterwards to go in and to discuss their personal situation. And then they were able to signpost, you know, any other resources or, or things that could help them. So I think you have to definitely just, you know, partner with an expert to, to get that advice for your staff. A lot of employee assistance programs will have a financial advice element in there. Again, something that's just overlooked and underused. Um, but there are structures in place and one company, I think it's called Nudge, um, you know, you'll find them online. They do a lot of, of stuff that's specifically to do with financial well-being. Perfect. Thank you. And, and Lauren, another um, topic at the moment around things well-being is, is the a lot of quite a few businesses are uh, offering well-being days to their staff, um, which sounds like a really good thing. Do you think we're going to get to a point where this is a compulsory thing that businesses need to offer and if and also how do you think they should be implemented and used yeah I think it's a really nice idea and I think especially over the last year people have shied away from taking annual leave and taking some time off to look after themselves so I think well-being days have kind of counteracted that and um, something that I've done previously is had well-being Wednesdays and this is basically a day where you don't have a lot of meetings um, and it's more about you know getting on top of your emails, getting on top of your workloads, giving yourself a bit of headspace for any, you know, learning and development. Um, so that works really well. But I think more so, I think that we need to try and have well-being as something that we are always looking after and that we always have uh, as a priority, as opposed to companies maybe just creating like one day a month where people are meant to really focus on it. Um, so I think it's great, but I think it could be more integrated. Yeah, understand. What, what do you think, Alicia, on well-being days? Yeah, I, I agree with Lauren. I think you could give everyone in the company a well, you know, a day off for well-being, um, but you could still not succeed at 
having a good strong well-being agenda or initiative um i think it, it you know you really need to, it needs to be part of, of a, a much wider um broader spectrum of, of offerings and resources and support and and training and l and d and you know everything um that encompasses uh, the people function and what they can do for people so yeah i think <laughs> um, it's a lovely idea and I think if used in the right way and communicated in the right way it would be great um, so you know I'd be fully supportive of it but I think it's just how you communicate it and you know what is it part of um, as Lauren said we also at Arbor we used to do kind of well-being Wednesdays and have our you know meditation uh, on those days and encourage people to you know have breaks from Zoom we used to have hours where they went you know they should be off their screens um, etc so yeah just trying to encourage people to take that break especially during lockdown and not get Zoom fatigue death by Zoom. Absolutely. And if we, we, we've talked about quite a few um, resources and companies and inspirations out there, well, what are some other key resources that you, you, Alicia, would guide people to so they can start tracking, supporting and improving the well-being of their workforce? What's, what's, what's the right stuff for people to go to? Yeah, so um, before talking about like specific uh, places they can go to, I think the first thing you need to do, if, if you want to set up a successful well-being agenda, is you, you really need to have a plan and a long-term strategy of what do you want to achieve and how are you going to get there? Um, and you, you really need to have that because otherwise it could just flop off the agenda or you could forget about it or uh, you know you might not be as successful as you'd hoped you would be. So I think it's really important to have your vision. You know, what do you want to achieve? What are the things you're gonna to do to get there? How long of a time period is that gonna be? And how often are you gonna communicate that to the rest of the business? You need to have accountability. Um, you know, who who is owning that initiative and driving it forward and communicating it. So that's really important. I think in terms of organisations or, or um, areas that you could go to for help and, and advice and support, there is a wealth of material out there. Uh, LinkedIn has stuff all the time. There's loads of webinars and podcasts and blogs and um, all kinds of ideas and meetups. Um, and I've said, you know, I've said quite a few of them already, but yeah, you know, have a look at Culture Amp and, and what some of the stuff that they do and offer. They do free workshops uh, on various topics as well. They did one on uh, resilience I went to last year, which was really great, um, giving and receiving feedback, you know, all these things that can help develop people in their intellectual well being, but also their social well being as well. Um, you know, have a look at uh, the podcast from Charlie HR. They're absolutely brilliant. Mind is a gold mine of resources they have absolutely brilliant um worksheets and fact sheets on there and, and brilliant support for employers uh when it comes to supporting well-being in the workplace so definitely have a look at that as well perfect and what, what do you think laura if there is um obviously all those are great and definitely use them but i think if there is one thing that you wanted to use to like activate the the well-being conversation in your workplace I would highly recommend a chap called David Beanie um, he runs a company called Breaking the Silence I adore David I've heard him speak multiple times and basically he'll come into your company and he'll do a talk and he'll tell you about his journey of um, you know mental health and well-being um, and he will basically set the tone for how everyone in the company can now think about this, can now speak about this. Um, and it's just such a great way to really just, you know, bring this conversation to life. He also does training for line managers and, and senior uh, management on how to, you know, how to embed this in your culture. So, you know, if you've only got a couple hundred pounds to spend on your wellbeing thing, go and book David Beanie. I promise you won't regret it. 
It's funny you should say that. So uh, as part of our mental uh, health awareness week, we had David do a talk for us yesterday um, and it yeah, went down really, really well. He's a top guy and I'm hoping to get him on here sometime as well. So I also endorse David Beanie. Um, good advice. Um, Corporate giants perhaps have some advantages in terms of budgets for this type of thing. Um, so if budgets are an issue um, and you perhaps have a, a business of a smaller scale and a smaller budget, um, Lauren, what advice would you give businesses to create this well-being priority culture without breaking the bank? Yeah, I think um, a lot of companies are starting from absolutely no budget for these things because they're not really... Um, you know, they're not signed off to have a tangible business benefit. Obviously they do, but that's not something that people necessarily throw money at. So um, I think you have to be creative. There are a lot of wellbeing activities that I've run that just require absolutely, you know, no financial input. So things like random acts of kindness, um, you know, this is one that we ran where everybody over the course of the week was challenged to do a random act of kindness for one of their colleagues. That doesn't cost anything. Maybe if you buy someone a cup of coffee, we did um, walking money. So everybody was challenged to, you know, get their step count up each day and you just stick that on a spreadsheet and you have kind of prizes and competitions. Again, totally free. There's resources like, um, you know, mindfulness, uh, yoga, yoga with aging on YouTube, you know, free yoga classes, TED Talks and all these subjects. So I think it's just a case of, um, you know, just don't don't let that put you off. It's, it's so fine. I think most of us that have done this wellbeing agenda for companies definitely started with, with no budget for it. Um, so, yeah, just, just try and figure out ways that you can maybe be a bit more creative and a bit more um, fun with it. Don't mind me asking, what kind of nice things did people do for each other when you ran that? Uh, so it, was, it was honestly lovely. So uh, we had like wee post-it notes on uh, people's desks with compliments or, you know, recognition for their hard work or something they really liked about them. We had loads of people bringing in, you know, surprise lunches or cakes or donuts. And um, we had people just inviting others to go for a walk with them at lunchtime, maybe people that were new or hadn't, you know, hadn't loads of friends at work. Um, yeah, it was just, it was a nice thing to do. That sounds lovely. Alicia, Alicia, what about yourself? Yeah, so uh, like Lauren, we, we started with nothing <laughs> as well. <laughs> just just a lot of optimism and energy. Um, and it is just about getting creative. And, you know, we did similar things as well. So we, we also did Random Acts of Kindness Day. Uh, we also did a day of thanks where everybody in the organisation thanked someone in the company for something. Um, and that just was a lovely lovely day I just finished that day of work with a huge smile on my face my heart kind of beaming because uh, it was just really warming to see all the thanks that was there that nobody would have said otherwise if we hadn't done that um so yeah there, there are lots of little things that you can do that are absolutely free you just have to be creative about it and I think um, one of the things to think about is it doesn't just have to be on you <laughs> uh, to organize all of this, you know, ask other people, people are so creative and, you know, most organizations have a wealth of talent and skills and people have so many different things that they can offer. Uh, we had people, you know, play music to us. Uh, we had somebody who, I think I mentioned before, read stories for people's children. We had someone who did an art class, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to, to see what people actually have to offer when you ask them and get other people involved. So do ask them and you, you know, I'm sure you'll uh, be surprised about what comes back. It's lovely. Really, really like that. Um, look, I think we've covered so much. We've given so much advice. I think there's been loads of takeaways on here. I, I suppose just, just to finish up really um, one question for you both, if you are a business and you are, it's probably recapping some of what we talked about. If you are just thinking, right, I need to make this priority in my company I've not done anything like, you know, around it before. What, what's the starting point? What's that first step, Alicia? What do you think is the most important thing? I think there are two things. I think one, you need to put together your, you know, 
vision about what you want to achieve and why, because ultimately you're going to have to get, um, you know, uh, support from the senior leadership team. So, you know, what what impact does this have on the business? There is so much information and statistics out there about the positive impact that looking after well-being has on a business um, when it comes to engagement levels, motivation, your employer brand, um, retention, um, uh, absence. You know, there are so many things that it it has a positive impact on your business as well as being the right thing to do, obviously. Um, and then the second thing is upskill yourself, take time to learn yourself about what tools and resources are available out there. And, you know, whether that's just reading about it for 20 minutes a day um, or listening to a podcast when you're on your way to the tube or, you know, when we're commuting again <laughs> or whatever that is, it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to send yourself on a really expensive training course, um, but you, you should take the time to, to upskill yourself on it because it's worth it um, there's so much to learn on the topic fantastic and lauren for you i suppose final question what's the starting point for business who does now want to make this a priority for their workforce yeah i think um go and go and see what you've already got i think a lot of people will be surprised if you've got an employee assistance program in place they will somewhere on that website have a calendar a well-being calendar of events resources all your days um all the kind of you know links to activities that you can do all the manager support there will be something there that you can just start as a as a kind of jumping off point um and secondly to alicia's point don't feel like you have to do this all by yourself you don't now have to you know become a clinical psychologist you don't have to be a one-man band shouting about well-being find other people in your company who are passionate and who want to be involved and then let them be involved um because it's definitely it's the best way for you to deal with it and it's the best way for the company to have it really embedded properly fantastic well look thank you both so much and how busy you are so thank you so much for being involved to give us such good advice um lauren what's the best way if anyone wants to reach out to you after this what's the best way for them to to do so yeah just uh, get get me on linkedin i'm more than happy to take any questions share any resources um, and help in any way i can fantastic and alicia alicia what's the best way for them to contact you Exactly the same. LinkedIn. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Great. Well, look, thanks to the audience for watching today. And thanks to everyone listening to it on the podcast. Uh, next week, we will be uh, hosting a business called Spill. We will be talking us through a data-driven approach to happiness. Uh, so I'm sure we could all do it, use a bit of that. Um, so thanks very much again to the speakers. Thanks, everyone, for attending. And uh, I'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.